Hello, I'm Film Comment Digital Editor Violet Luca. This episode of our podcast was recorded on October 9th as part of the New York Film Festival Live Talks, sponsored by HBO. A roundtable of Film Comment contributors and editors discussed the festival's essential highlights, including long-anticipated films from world-renowned auteurs like Todd Haynes, Zha Zhan Ke, A Peach Upon Wearisethical, and Hu Shen, as well as some films that went overlooked during the festival. Our participants included Wesley Morris of the New York Times, Eric Hines, critic, reporter, and film comment columnist, Michael Koreski, staff writer of the Criterion Collection and co-editor-in-chief of Reverse Shot, Aliza Ma, programmer, critic, and author of our September-October cover story on The Assassin, film comment senior editor Nicholas Rapold, and myself. The entire conversation lasted for over an hour in front of a packed audience. Here's Film Comments' Nicholas Rapold's first question to the panelists. All right. Um, well, I, I know one thing we could do is just talk about what all our favorite films are, but I imagine that might lead us to kind of the same um, films that people heard a lot about, so I just thought maybe we'd talk about the films you felt were overlooked. Uh, over the course of the festival in one way or another that uh, deserve attention. I mean, one thing that might come to mind is uh, Right Now, Wrong Then, just a terrific Hong Sang-soo movie that, say, you know, people haven't talked about as much as, I don't know, Carol or even Steve Jobs. Um, so was that anyone's favorite movie that they'd like to uh, sing in praise of? I adore that movie very much. Yeah. yeah, it was the it was the, probably the biggest crowd pleaser in Locarno when I first saw it. Um, and I don't know, it's like the greatest feel-good structuralist film of the year, you know. So and, and also what's amazing about it is it's bifurcated, it's the same film replaying itself in a different version in the second half, and he's almost sort of making a comment about how people always say he makes the same film. And well, that's why it's sort of easy to overlook, I mean, easy to overlook, <laughs> and that's, but no, no, I'm just saying like that is, you take him for granted. Because it seems like it never changes, but that had not that particular self-defense or like self-mockery or whatever it's, had it's not occurred. It's very smart. It's very smart. Yeah. yeah. Did, and Michael, do you have something to add? Um, I guess I really liked, surprisingly to me and to everyone that I told, I was even going to see it. I really liked Mia Madre, the Nani Moretti film. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that it was just this unpretentious, lovely movie about balancing personal crises and professional crises. And I, 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 the way that he makes movies it tends to be overlooked because there's something kind of workmanlike about it, but there's a real um, core of something genuine and, and real. And um, he, he gets meta without being too clever about it. It's about a filmmaker. And I love the way that he, um, that, that he um, transposes his own story into a female character. I think it's, it's really fascinating and kind of a lovely film. And nobody's really talking about it as far yeah, as I can that's tell. that's true, yeah. There is a core of something there. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't love that movie as much. A lot as of he people did. don't. Yeah. This is good. It kind of drove me crazy. Good. Um, I don't dislike it. I guess That's I do, but I don't. I, mean, I don't hate it. I'm talking about it as one of the overlooked films of the festival. It's certainly not the high echelons of the great films, but it feels like everybody's talking about. Cemetery but I'm really Splendor open to people talking, talking about, about what they Carol. like about it too. I'm really open to hearing why people like it. Because, I mean, it just, he's a crapshoot, like you said, and I'm one of those people where, like, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And this was one of those occasions where I felt like 
the mother was actually the most interesting part of the movie and there wasn't enough of her. I found her to be the least interesting character. Really? <laughs> yes, I thought she was a little, a, little, a little too angelic uh, and I found everyone else to be kind of fascinatingly weird. Mm. Well, that, that movie is also interesting in, in kind of bringing up one theme about, I guess, you know, loss of a parent, which I think we might have talked about, Michael, a bit um, in email. Right, yeah, I mean, that, I, I want everyone else to be able to answer this question, but it does, um, it, it was the first of a chain of films that I saw that were really deeply and interestingly differently about the loss of a parent, and no home movie, of course. And um, Mountains Made Apart, to a certain extent, is, I mean, there's a whole chapter in the film that's about that, and it's about then the son's loss of the mother, to a certain extent, and also, um, uh, there's a big one. I'm thinking, what is it? No home movie? I said no home movie, but there, no, there, there's... Oh, Heart of a Dog. Heart of a Dog, which I thought was just gorgeous. Yes. But about the overlooked Yeah, any, any other overlooked that one of you can brought I, to the... Pro can I have their program, Nick? Oh, sure, yeah. Go, go it is hard I'm, to, to I'm think overlooking, back. There's so many I'm sure films. I'm overlooking something that's been overlooked. Yeah. I bet Eric has one. Um, well, I mean, mine's more sort of just categorical. Sure, I mean, no, I, I definitely. Think, I what's, think that what's what's the I mean, I, I just this is I, I I tend to write about this. I wrote a column for Film Count on this. I just always want there to be more attention paid to the documentary films. I Absolutely. feel like the the I, I love that there is a full section for it these days, but I also feel like that section is a bit of a sort of oh, there's there's no reading material. Um, I I feel like a little bit that 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 section feels a little bit like a second tier thing, which I fight against. Uh, because I think there's some fantastic films in that program, and um, I think inevitably, with the different categories, uh, it's going to happen that the main slate gets the most attention. So a film like In Jackson Heights, the Frederick Wiseman film, is is an extraordinary, extraordinary movie. And talk about somebody that we take for granted. I mean, uh, the great thing is that it's coming out soon, so everyone sure. can get to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the platform of New York Film Festival is wonderful for for these films. So I just want. I just want them to get more attention, yeah, and I definitely. want the I want there to be a, you know, a slightly sort of stronger platform for them here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly in Jackson Heights is you know kind of like ten movies in one, just in in, in, in all the covers, and also a New York movie, which is always a personal pleasure. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think it's as, it's one of the best films he's made, which is almost perverse to say when you've had a career like that, but it's it's incredible. He just won't stop getting better. I haven't seen this one, but I mean, he's, I don't know, it's just fascinating how he, the older he gets, the more he figures himself out. I mean, I, I, as, as a new... This is Fred Wiseman, by the way, if, in case you didn't know. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think that, I mean, as a New Yorker, I think for this festival too, I mean, there's, uh, I, I just don't know how many New York films I've seen that are, that, that speak to what it's like to be a New Yorker better, or what it, or, or the sort of, uh, the way that neighborhoods function, the way that that neighborhood in particular functions. I mean, I just, I just, I found it incredibly moving, like just seeing people interact in a diner or watching people do very ordinary things together. You just don't see it in a movie. Um, and the fact that he's not a New Yorker, he's not a native of Queens, the fact that he could capture that the way he does is very, very moving. Yeah, I mean, he, he just seems to have a way of connect in that particular, in, in Jackson Heights, of connecting things that are very of the moment, you know, gentrification and you know maintaining identity and tying that into very basic ideas and ideals that have to do with America uh, you know having like a democratic and you know diverse society so it's just amazing how he's always able to connect things back in, in that way um, which makes it as rich as any 
you know, overambitious art film that's trying to talk about big ideas, but Absolutely. he's doing it from the ground up. Absolutely true. Can we talk about Arabian Nights for a second? Yes, does that, please. I yeah, mean, that's a does that count as an underrated movie? I, it's a lot of in movie. terms of how much of there of it there is to see and like when and which part you saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone seems to love it. Everyone seems to adore it. So it, is it, does that make it under? I don't whatever. know. Well, I mean, talk about it anyway. Well, not everybody. Yeah, there are some. Oh, we, that, yes, we, there are some everybody, prominent, prominent critic who does a very, like very prominent yeah. we, we can talk about the well-liked movies now. <laughs> <laughs> the what? The well-liked movies now. Oh, okay. Movies that are liked just yeah. as much as they deserve. No, but it, yeah, Arabian Nights. Did you, I mean, did did everyone see this? Um, I guess you could only see it one night at a time, right? There was no option for right. seeing it in. Which is also like, I world. don't think that's a problem. I think that's the. It's it's not meant to be seen all in one sitting necessarily. Right. You could, and it would be an amazing. I think that would be great to do that, but you're not required to do that. It's yeah. not structured that way. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Three films. Yeah. Um, but but Wesley did Wesley did you want to go more into Arabian Nights? Oh, I just think you know even if all of it doesn't work, it's still an achievement that I think is kind of it's very impressive. I well, mean, and what? Well, I would dispute. I mean, to me, the fact that it doesn't traditionally work is part of how it works. That's right. One, that's one of the things. Right, I right. about. No, I mean it, it's. I don't know. I feel like even the arguments against. Well, I haven't heard a persuasive argument entirely against it. Um, I just think that there's so much happening with it, and it's it's. Uh, he's really smart about some of the things that I think with another director would be kind of unbearable. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I think it's really great. Yeah. And I'm glad it's here. Well, speaking of unbearable, it's funny because I mean, the, the <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez, Wes. I'll the, hold um, the microphone. This uh, far away. Speaking of unbearable. No, I mean, to, to me, like. <laughs> you were close to the mic. Thank you, Mike. Not you as a person. Everybody he's he's going to be Wesley. here all weekend. <laughs> it, it reminds me most of the sort of Godard's turn in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, where he has the power to entertain at any moment, but he's not necessarily going to. Um, and I thrill to point. that. I don't necessarily know that everybody else is going to thrill to that experience, but I do, you know, because I think that there are f of, of those three films, especially the third part, you know, there's, there's the first section is kind of candy. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's narrative. It's, and then it just is not for the rest right. of the it movie. It sets and you up for and this. And that's not a mistake. That's by design. And so that can be tough for an audience. But um, I, I, am, I, well, I happen to thrill to that. It like casts a spell and then takes you out of it. Like it, it walks you out. And I mean the, the first, I mean, it's, this is ridiculous, but I only saw the first and the third parts. And there's a wonderful And, and the cinema. second one is probably the most accessible in any ways. That's what everyone says. I don't care. I'm not in it for that. <laughs> I liked, but I loved. Um, no, if, I mean, if you like, I mean, my point is that no, you're in it for that. But if you like those other two parts, then you're probably in for a treat. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm looking forward. <laughs> speaking of, uh, I'm sorry, Violet, I didn't mean to interrupt. But speaking of things Please. that don't quite work, which is always an interesting yeah, debate to have, yeah, and whether that works or doesn't for the film, I, I have a conversation that I want to have with Eliza, and I've been wanting to for a while, but I might as well do it in public. Yes, um, about mountains made apart. We can talk about that a little bit because. Um, that third chapter, I don't know how many people here saw, saw the Zhajenka film Mountains Made Apart, but the third chapter um, has proven somewhat, I don't say controversial, but it's incited debate where some people just think 
it's clearly this bizarre failure. If the third part's in English, it takes place in Australia. There's something kind of off about the tone. It's very strange. And, and we talked about it a little bit um, earlier about how you just think it just, a lot, it does, not, not that it doesn't work, but that it's perhaps like compromised by it. Whereas yeah. I kind of found it to be fascinatingly mm-hmm. wrong. But I don't know, it's, 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 it's sort of an interesting debate to have whether these things that throw movies off are actually the things that kind of make the movies what they are. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I well, the whole movie is about how time changes your feelings about a relationship. And I think that like over time, I've kind of changed my feelings about that third part, too. Um, yeah, I mean, and part of it is the, just reading people's sort of knee-jerk reactions after watching something at a festival and saying, oh, well, it turns out Jia Junke can't make an English language film for shit. That's actually what someone wrote. Um, I said for shit? Yeah. Um, for shit, if anyone yeah. didn't hear that. Just Can I have a name? <laughs> Later. Okay. Um, so now, uh, Lisa, you actually uh, did, it, you did an interview with him for us that's forthcoming. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know, did he delve into that at all, the, the question well, of the Well, you know, earlier the subject of losing a parent came up, mm-hmm. and um, he talked about that. He talked about from 2006 up until um, 2013, when he finished A Touch of Sin, he had been focused on making relatively what you could be calling documentaries, because he lost his father in 2006, and he could not put himself into his filmmaking anymore, so he began to focus on um, the outward kind of changes and observing what was disappearing around him in his environment in China, and um, it was only recently that he started looking inwardly um, about the emotional qualities and those changes in in um, Chinese people. And um, so this film draws a lot from his personal experience. I mean, he told me in the interview that you could say that this is a movie that represents all the collated emotions within himself since 2006. And then I think within the context of the third chapter of the movie, I found that very moving, and I'm dying to revisit it. Yeah, it is the kind of movie that I've been wanting to watch again since I watched it. There's something that just, the way it kind of just dissolves in front of you is, while at the same time the movie is, you realize what the movie is building to, into, I, I found re- really kind of fascinating. And yeah, you wrote a wonderful review of the film on Reverse Shot, and you, you said, you talked about the last part in the movie, and uh, you mentioned some really awkward dialogue that goes on, like, you know, at one point the, the son tells the father, what was it? Something about I Google feel, Translate? He says, I, f- I feel like Google Translate is my real father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best line. And then actually... <laughs> Especially when stated in English. Actually, Jajanka is an amazing academic English speaker. I don't know if people understand this, but in China, they teach you Chinese in writing, I mean, English in writing, and they're very, very strict about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, when he's a juror, people often don't understand that he's able to read the subtitles and really understand exactly what is going on. Mm. Um, and in the case of the last chapter, however, he wasn't able to translate what was written in the Chinese dialogue himself. Um, so he had another English critic 
translate that part for him. And I think for us, it's an interesting thing to consider like how much gets lost in translation anyway when you're watching anything at a film festival with subtitles. And for me, the film just kind of draws forth those problems. And it also, you know, embodies those problems. But, you know, it's, it's, he didn't translate that script and I, I, f I can't help but feel like, you know, whatever shortcoming it has, it has to do with something that has been lost in translation. But I, I mean, my biggest problem with that section was the Oedipal, or, or not the Oedipal thing, but like, you know, he finds a surrogate mother. Mm -hmm. And I found that was sort of like, that was like going a little too far. Like the other issues that are raised in that section are definitely legitimate with, you know, any diaspora. Um, but it's the perfect excuse to use Sylvia Chang in your movie. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I just took it that the future is going to be much more complicated. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, another thing that's interesting about Mountains Made Apart, I think, is that, I mean, even just clearly from this third episode where he's kind of putting himself out there in a different way with an English language um, drama, but that it's just another ambitious step by a major filmmaker, which is always really gratifying to see. Um, and in that regard, I'm kind of curious what people thought of Carol, and because I know there's divided opinions about how that is a, a running in place, big step forward, a elegant step forward. Or it's a step. It's a step. Would you well, it's also, it's also screening this weekend, so oh, I mean, it is? there's not too many people who have seen it. Oh goodness, it. okay. Oh. There's a sort of just press screening sort of thing. Oh, so okay, to date. sure. All right. So I guess we can stay mum. I just for, for the record, I just wanted spoiling it. I just want to say that I'm I'm with the people who think the last third is really beautiful. I'm a, I'm a sucker for format changes, and there's something about the moment when you realize. I guess I don't know if I had been aware of the way in which the screen was widening, and then at some point I just realized, like, you look up and you're watching. Which my mom's made apart. Yeah. Okay. Not Carol. I won't. I won't. We won't. Sorry? No, you're right. I thought, I thought we were talking about Caroline. I was like, oh my God, I missed something. <laughs> so the format changing. Yeah, Mount, oh, Mount's made apart. The format Yeah, I mean, I just think yeah. that movie, I just think it's, it's so, I think it's beauty and it's sort of emotional. The thing, whatever it is trying to work out, I find very, I find very moving. You know what I wondered? Because Jia Junko's film and Ho Xiaoshen's film this year both have the aspect ratio yes. changes. Yes. And they share so many of the same um, crew, like in terms of, you know, they, they share Lim Kyung and Hano for the um, music and, and um, they share some of the same cinematographers. So I was like, did they call each other to like coordinate this? You know, it's, it's, really <laughs> it's a vast funny. joke. Yeah. I guess Steve Jobs also has a certain, not an aspect ratio change, but a format change. Yes. It's a, Steve Jobs in, in three parts, each corresponding to a separate product lunch, launch and lunch uh, for uh, Steve Jobs. <laughs> or lunch. <laughs> and uh, starting with, I guess, what is it, 60 millimeter, then 35 millimeters, the second one, and then HD is the last one. Right. Um, well, it's a good one to bring up. I feel like there's probably a wide range of reactions. Uh, yes, indeed, yeah. Why does that seem... Why does that seem so much more obnoxiously gimmicky than <laughs> Mountains Made Apart? Is that just a bu from a cultural bias or something? I mean, that just sounds horrible. I haven't seen Steve Jobs yet. Well, I, w I mean, how could you? But how could you say that about a movie that's structured around product launches? Yeah, like, know, how I dare you say that? Maybe it's, it's maybe it's because of what you're saying. It's such like a one-to-one -one thing. Like what you're saying, Jaja Janko does. It's like it's kind of like maybe it's too obvious. 
Yeah. I don't know, but maybe it's because it's also it won't. Like Danny but I don't Boyle, know. It Danny didn't. Boyle's I don't know. So if it well, it's not necessarily noticeable. I can't no. say that it left. No, you. Well. I mean, well, you you notice it. It just isn't. It isn't. That's not that movie's problem. It's an inside. It's an inside <laughs> could you, could joke. Wesley, you, what is that movie's problem? Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Tell us, Doctor Morris. I just. <laughs> I. I mean, I am a person who, at this point, has a real. I am fascinated by the relationship between Aaron Sorkin and directors. And the degree to which Aaron Sorkin... I mean, if you haven't seen Steve Jobs, I mean, I'm not... I, it's unruinable. Um, but one of the one of the ideas about p- the sort of, like, the in- industry frustration with Steve Jobs, at least among people in the technology world, is that his products are uh, l- limited to Apple employees, is that the products were end-to-end products. And, you know, therefore, they're incompatible with anything else. They only work with, with things that Apple makes. Um, that is basically Aaron Sorkin. He is, he is an end-to-end product. You can't, he doesn't, he's unadaptable. He, lots of directors can try to, I mean, I don't think that, that, that there's a ten, there can potentially be a tension between a director and Aaron Sorkin's writing, but I think ultimately the director of a movie written by Aaron Sorkin, I think, is Aaron Sorkin. And it's a director's prerogative to sort of dress up what Aaron Sorkin has done. Um, But the prevailing, I mean, even the way in which actors function in space is sort of seems to be dictated by him. The, The speed at which and the nature by which they speak is dictated by him. And that's a fascinating thing in 2015 when there aren't screenwriters who have a personality, when there aren't many screenwriters, American screenwriters, who have a personality and a point of view and an agenda. Um, so you would compare to like Patty Shayevsky in terms of relationship? Yeah, I mean, he's sort of one of those people. But I was talking about this the other day. I feel like directors found, I mean, I could tell the difference between the way, I mean, well, that's not fair. Because, I mean, there's an obvious visual difference between The Social Network and Steve Jobs and Moneyball, for instance. But there's, I, would, I think that like, the, the sort of closed nature of the Aaron Sorkin project sort of lets the air out of what a director can do with, those, with that structure. Um, and I don't find it uninteresting. I think those movies are very entertaining. But... I don't. I don't know. I. I really have to fight to get to the higher place to sort of think beyond Aaron Sorkin's thinking, and I think there's a way in which these directors are kind of serving the screenplay in a way that they don't normally do in their regular in their in their other work, and I think that in this case Danny Boyle is somewhat subdued for all of these sort of surveillance effects in this movie. The the places where he can put a camera are really interesting, but I don't. Th- I, I am not as interested by that movie as I am many other Danny Boyle movies. Um, I would say the most successful Aaron Sorkin screenplay turned into a film is um, the Mike Nichols movie, which is like a blasphemous thing to say. But I think Charlie Wilson's War is the most interesting thing that he's done because it's the most, it's the least like the other things and it's the least conclusive. It's the least, it's the movie in which he doesn't have a question to answer or a problem to solve or you know a plat, um, you know a pedestal to climb upon and sort of rail against whatever. I think but that, do, but he does in that film. He totally does. He does. About inv- yeah. Yeah, but I think that 
there's a kind of open. Oh, no, there's I something structurally open about the way it works. That's like that's like the last bearable Aaron Sokin movie. Well, I, th- I think <laughs> we're all, I think we're all suffering from the f- still suffering from the fact that Sports Night was canceled. I feel like if not sports me. Night, if <laughs> twenty years of Sports Night with some silence. Was, for sports um, night. Uh, <laughs> I, my, I I actually felt the first third of Jobs. I was entirely with it. Um, I've, I've, I I liked its artificiality. I liked what it was. I liked the Aaron Sorkin aspect of it. I kind of liked how Danny Boyle was trailing along and doing what he could with that. Um, I liked the performances. Once it establishes that it's going to repeat itself three times and we're going to have everybody showing up. It's like the Muppet Show at that point. It's like, <laughs> oh, this guy's going to pop through that window. Oh, okay, here's the daughter again. And who's going to play the daughter this time? Like that structure, <laughs> I felt, defeats itself after a certain point. It becomes all conceit and not actually about anything else other than itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an interesting movie to have in the, in the festival. Just, I mean, not to have stereotypes about any you know particular forms of art film, but it's the speed of it. It's kind of interesting to have it for that reason in, in the festival. Um, and for that reason, weirdly enough, I, I realized when I was watching. This is gonna sound terrible. I thought of it when I was watching Son of Saul, um, just because that's also a film that's in a very constrained scenario, and 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 you are just la- locked in for a ride, a terrible ride. Uh, and Steve Jobs is the same sort of thing, but in an entirely different way. But for some reason, that was one interesting way in which, I'm thinking like formally here, not at all about anything else. No, but else. this is the problem with Son of Saul, I think, which is oh, it, like it leads you down these roads of like, there's no tasteful way to talk about this movie that isn't also about how the ways in which it meets up with a certain kind of commercial f- thrill ride. That's what I find sort of morally appalling about that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I should say, like, I have a strong, like, or I think it's strong, defense of the movie. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, it's that, like, I understand that. I understand the virtuosity immediately plugs in into, yeah, certain, certain types of movies. But for me, um, having things in the background that are blurry isn't just, um, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's an active attempt to make it difficult to perceive things. Um, and restoring that sort of difficulty to perceiving this whole panor- awful panorama is part of its project. And yeah, admittedly, you know, having these virtuos- virtuoso you know, traveling shots and everything, it could be distracting in, in that regard, but um, I don't know, I still feel it somehow does cohere. There's also a moral point. aspect of that too. You could yeah, say that, or, or continuity. even just experience, we're three or four months into this incredible, this, this just, hellish, hellish existence that you are literally just only paying attention to things thing that's directly in front of right. you after yeah. you, you're not actually yeah. going to have any depth to your perception at that point. Yeah. I just struggle with that. I really, I mean, because you're both right and yet the, there's the reality of the experience of watching that and watching it if you've seen, you know, even six Holocaust movies. The idea, I mean, there, it's both a sort of flattening out of, of the drudgery of that particular job, but it also is, to me, it feels like, like an elision. And I can't, I'm, it's very hard to reconcile being aware of those two. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing, powerful, formal achievement, what this guy's done. But I'm ha- I have a hard time I have a hard time getting to that place because all I'm thinking about is is the alternative argument, which is which seems to be moving in exactly the opposite direction of all of of the entire sort of moral force of the way we are meant to think about the Holocaust. Yeah. 
which is what's weird about uh, the Claude Lonsman response. It can, I have not seen the film yet, but there were, uh, when Claude Lonsman saw the film, oh, yeah. uh, I, this is a, I think he's in his 90s at this point, but he gave it, the, literally there was like a thumbs up moment. And um, everybody was really confused because it seemed to be flying in the face of everything that he's ever believed philosophically about how you can represent the Holocaust. Um, so it is interesting that this movie is inciting that sort of debate for, for him, uh, for this filmmaker of all people to, to accept what the, the director Nemesh, is that the director's oh, name? Yeah. Laszlo Nemesh. What he's done um, to, to, to be making this attempt at a moral type of aesthetic that um, seems to be playing into both camps. Oh, sorry. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like, I mean... We're going to cut that in post. Oh, I, that I didn't, that's really... I mean, I don't think that, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where it, I think that he's, he is clearly, he clearly is, what he wants to achieve as a director is to push back against what he feels like has been the Spielbergization of, of the way, or the Hollywoodization of, of the way we think about the Holocaust, which is... Certainly true. I mean, it is a gruesome movie. Um, and, you know, in many ways, what you're not seeing is also hard to watch. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it is... I am enjoying the problem of reconciling what is both great and terrible about this movie. So can... I was going to move on to something else. Oh, yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, I, mean, I, don't, I actually don't have anything immediate to say about this, but I was curious if anybody else saw it. But, like, speaking of films that had a, a major presence at Cannes and then it'll, you know, it'll then have a traveling show and we'll have different responses on, along the way. To me, I was, it was, I love, one of the things I love about New York Film Festival that can happen and does happen at least once or twice, I think, every year is a film that gets sort of no attention at Cannes and then it shows up here mm -hmm. and then we're all like, wait, nobody was talking about this? Mm -hmm. I feel like that happened with uh, Bastards a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. which am I, was that right that it was here? Yeah. yeah, that it was in New York Film Festival? That, that that sort of like got lost yes, and then showed up here and and nobody that I no, like there was just sort of mixed or no response right, and yeah. then it showed up here and a number of us were like this is fantastic um, and I feel like the um, uh, sorry what was the bastards of this uh, year was the uh, Jesus uh, was uh, I'm totally drawing animal away. vegetable mineral. I had a whole thing I have a whole thing I'm gonna say but give me one the lobster not well the I like the lobster I, I like the lobster. Sorry, I know everybody liked the lobster. It's, it's the title, like it was, it was the title wrong. It's my golden days, Arnold Deplish. Oh, my golden, which, sure. Which, which oh, yeah. not, was not yeah. in competition at Cannes, and then I feel like had the Valentine response that it deserved. But that to. was the number one movie that anybody who at Cannes anyway was. That was the movie that everybody who saw liked and couldn't figure out why it wasn't in competition. There's a story about why it wasn't in competition, right. but that was that was the okay. I would if, to rank them. I would say Mad Max, Fury Road, The Arnold Desplechin, and Inside Out were the three movies, and, and maybe The Gomesh, but but not not quite as those are your top not enough people saw it. But those are the movies that people were. Did you see like you know what was the best movie you saw, or what should I see that's not in the competition, or what should be in the competition that's not. That movie so was, was so it wasn't that there was a muted response to it. It was that no, it was very it enthusiastic. It just 
you know, you know how those things go. You have to walk down the street to see a movie, God forbid. But that was that was the case with that film. Cemetery it, of Splendor too. That was out that was out of the can competition. Which one? Right. Cemetery, Cemetery of Splendor. Yeah. Yeah. Pong, strangely. Yeah, but that like was in the regard. that was in Uncertain Regard, which was also controversial. That's not where the Day Plus was? That wasn't in no. Certain, oh? Shown was Critics Week, I believe. Oh. It was in uh, Director's Fortnite. Director's Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. no, but it's true. How but I feel like Cemetery of Splendor to a certain extent also I don't know. Had a certain response. It's hard, you know. Really? Here, I here, mean, I, here. I mean, I don't know. That had a muted response here, or uh, I don't know. Did you guys see it? it? Oh, it's just the yeah. greatest. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I even felt like going into it, I was like, okay, well, don't expect too much. There hasn't been a lot of word about this. Even just sort of just, you know, instinctively, I had this sense that maybe this was. Not going to be. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was as good as anything. He's yeah, the, yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a, there was a general sense of more of the same uh, yeah. that people had. Bef- for, yeah, that my I favorite heard. word to apply as applied to films, minor. Right, or minor, minor work, minor. whatever that. <laughs> means, right? I don't like it as much as you guys do. I don't think it's minor, but I don't think, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as great as as a Peach Pong's like great movies. Um, I, f- I feel like I feel it as much as I feel anything by him. Mm-hmm. I find emotionally, I find it overwhelming. I need to yeah. see. I need to see it. A, I'll watch it a third time. I saw it twice. It can. I need to see it some months removed. But there's a moment with his movies where I. It's. I don't know. It's like furniture assembly or something. Like you. Like you were putting together the furniture and suddenly you can't. Or like a math problem and suddenly it just. It just clicks. Like the thing that you're not quite sure you're understanding or or experiencing just overtakes you and it's very powerful. Um, that has happened with me with each of his with each of his films, and it didn't happen this time. It didn't happen either time I saw it, and I was so disappointed the first time it didn't happen. I saw it again that night. I probably should have waited, um, and it didn't happen again. And I was like, okay, this is. Because the moment you're talking about for me is when it's this. I mean, there are so many amazing. Shouldn't give, we shouldn't give away too much. Oh, really? No spoiler. No spoiler. <laughs> it's a spoiler-free zone. Tell you, me, tell me. What you see well, the I mean, sign the, outside. The, well, the part where they go to the movies. Right. And like you, I mean, it's just like this. Uh, you know, they they go to the film. They should I say? Can I say who they are? Or is that too much of a spoiler? Well, but so. Um, oh God! Now I can't remember her name, but the actress that he always uses. Right. She, you know, um, she's a volunteer at this hospital for soldiers who have fallen under this spell of sleep, and not, nothing can really wake them up. But they'll occasionally just wake up on their own, and the the um, the hospital is built up. Okay. On, yes. The hospital is, you know, built is uh, is this old school that was built on an old um, a, a graveyard for warriors. And you know this guy that she makes a connection with, a soldier she makes a connection with. He wakes up, and they go to the movies, and it's this beautiful scene in a in a mall, in a shopping mall, where they stand up and they're wait. They watch like this trailer for a terrible like haunted. Terrible it looks amazing. I, yeah, I mean I would love this. I, a terrible. Looks amazing. <laughs> kind of yeah, Evil Dead uh, Thailand style sort of thing. And then uh, they see the trailer. And then they stand up and they wait for the Thai national anthem to start, which is legally required in Thailand. And nothing. Every all the audience stands up and there's no music. And then it cuts to outside and there's um, this homeless man sleeping on a in a bus shelter and there's an ad for Thai brides. And you know it's 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 this one image. And then 
it cut back it cuts back to the movie theater and they the you know the soldier is being carried out because he's fallen asleep again and there's this incredible shot of elevators just like uh, an mc escher painting where they go oh God. and it's like in this beat re- the colors in this film are amazing and it's just like this intense red and you see them just going down and down what i love about down. that sequence is that when they're when they're standing waiting for the national anthem to start i mean you don't know that necessarily as an audience member right. it's one of those things that I, I was aware of it watching because I've read a lot of interviews with him yes. over the years, and I know that he always talks about that as one of the absurd things about living in that in, in that country, is that you you're forced by law to stand and hear the national anthem before a movie, and so it, yeah, when they stand up and they stand bef- in this dark theater before a blank screen and nothing happens and the shot just lingers on it, it ha- it has such import. There's so much yeah. going on in that in that one little moment. Of course, that won't necessarily translate for maybe a first-time viewer of his yeah. films, uh, people who don't know the history there, I think that that's okay. I think it actually still yeah. works. But there's, but there's another moment, too, where it's like they're, these, they're, in the, they're in a forest, these two characters are getting in a forest, and there's a statue of these two school kids. And it's like this giant sort of cartoonish statue in the middle of nowhere. And the kids are like laughing and looking at a book together. And then the camera pans over, and it's two skeletons doing the exact same thing. And it's just like, I just started crying because it's such a, like... I mean, that's what war is. Like, that's what, um, or specifically in that part of the, I feel like in that part of the world, it's very specific to that. And it was just like such a haunting moment. And there are people, I saw it in a press screening, which is like the worst worst place to see anything. But people were sort of like, oh, what a a card, a feature pong. Oh, it's so funny. And it's like, this is a really serious. Right, as as though or a Wes Anderson pan where you like see the joke when the camera goes. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. That's what sort of uh, everyone was expecting. What, what I love to be, about, but to oh. be fair, it's also a very funny movie at moments too. Oh, the beauty cream that smells like semen is like that's. But that's also another thing where it's like it's hilarious, but it's also that's real. It's, it's a movie. It's a movie <laughs> where a, a, a sleeping soldier you slowly see the erection tent up under the sheet. It's a movie where someone takes a shit in the woods and you see the whole thing on camera, and it's still this kind of lovely, placid, beautiful, unpretentious movie. No, no shock value at all. He's he, to my mind, is one of the best filmmakers on the planet. Period. Exclamation point. And to not to not think this is as great as like syndromes of in a century. It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. Matter. It doesn't matter. It's like th- these things are operating on a continuum, and the places these movies come from are so unique to him I don't know he's he's the best I just for whatever reason the sort of chemical spiritual response that I typically have with him I eluded me this time could we go back to, to Carol because which you tried to start talking about a little while ago because I'm just are we we can talk about it right I'm just yeah. curious was there is there hesitancy amongst people on the panel because I just think it's I was so just reluctant superb. to talk about it because nobody's seen it nobody's had a chance oh, people to haven't see it. seen it I mean at this point I mean, we can still talk about it in a way to recommend people see it. I mean, I think that well, it's... Well, I can't recommend people see it, so... You don't like, you don't like it? <laughs> well, we I mean, can, he's like, he's, we have I wouldn't stop anybody con. from seeing he's it one of those. Like he's a, one of those filmmakers, for me, who's like a peach upon. I, I think that it, everything's on a continuum, like you were saying, and um, I'm just so in awe of what he does every time. This is most like Mildred Pierce. It's a good his, point his, about his, what you're... I think what you're saying is good. Um, but you just don't like any of it. No, no, no. I'm saying about the continuum. I think that... Part of one of the things we're talking about with with Hong Sang Soo, and you know there are certain directors who do a thing and they f- they've got a thing and they they do it very well. 
I feel like with Todd Haynes, he is working something out that he's already, to my mind, worked out. And I would like to see him move beyond these sort of things that seem like veiled psychodramas about, you know, his being a son and having a mother. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I don't, I, I don't want to see him stuck in the 50s in the 40s and the past. I would like to see this very vital director work in the present and that's a really unfair thing to ask for in some ways because you know, he doesn't care what I think. But I do think that he is, to me, I feel like this is a director hiding something from something. Um, these movies feel in, in, in a way, despite the dangerousness of this people in the circumstances of the narrative, I feel like these movies are ultimately formally and artistically sort of very safe. Um, so to speak. So, so to speak. So to speak. I mean, he, uh, he's um, never made a film set in, in, the pre in his present, right? There's never been... Safe was set well, 10 in the years 80s. earlier. Ten, yeah. Safe was, 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 was you know, a movie that was set in 87. It was made in 95. He talks about it. It's a period piece about the 80s because um, it's very specifically about a point in time of the AIDS crisis. Um, so I, it's funny. It's funny to, to ask a director. I know what you're saying. You don't. I, it's unfair to do it. I to wouldn't ask, ask it, to do I, something right. because his his films are even Mildred Pierce. You know, these are films that are about the present in their own I, way. It's not even. I don't even. I, so I'd like stricken from the record my complaint about the present. I I would say that there is a sort of thematic redundancy at this point with him I don't know I feel like he is one of those directors now where like people think he's gonna dissolve or like uh, fall, like become a pile of dust if you say something bad about him he, it's it's okay to, to like want more of Todd Haynes or to think that like something he does doesn't work and this movie to me I think doesn't work I don't think he's fragile at all I think he's a strong man I'm sure he is <laughs> no I'm saying that but the way we talk about Todd Haynes is like, no, 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 he's really, he's so, he's like this person, it's like him and Terrence Malick, I feel like are the two directors, like nobody wants to like tell the truth about sometimes. People, Terrence both, Malick both is one taken, of the most. Both of them like, have taken plenty of criticism. Over whatever, I feel plenty. like what? that's probably true plenty. and yet. Two words, Velvet Goldmine. Yeah, Come on. a lot of people. How many eons ago was that? I mean, he's like, and you would say, like, no, no, he's Wesley, made a full... What? That was a significant blow. Like, he was going to be a mainstream filmmaker, and Velvet Goldmine, Goldmine failed, failed, and that was actually a major, major moment, I think. Okay, yes, I mean... It was a while ago, yes, right. Correct. I just feel like he is artistically recovered from whatever fallout, whatever sort of psychological or commercial or whatever fallout there was. <laughs> Now I'm his shrink, apparently. <laughs> I, I, I think that there's... No I, think what, I think what's, what's interesting about this, and it's good that we've sort of had a number of films that we've gotten to, through to, to get here, is that I think that there's these... That we're talking about the benefits and the, and the problems with auteurism here. Because, like, we're talking about films in relation to other films by that filmmaker instead of films on, in the, on their individual merits and what they may have to offer. We're always going to sort of, like, project things onto it. And there is a value to that, I think, when we're able to appreciate a film in relation to what it has done. We can actually understand it better, we can describe it better, we can understand the, the project, but I do feel that there comes a time when, and we all, we all do it, and I'm not saying it has no value, but I get a little bit frustrated with that perspective, like the idea that, like, that, that if Todd Haynes wants to make the same movie over and over for the rest of his life, what's actually the problem with that? 
You might have a that, problem. You that's might. my problem. This right. is what I'm saying. Right. I, this is why I have no... It's unfair for me to ask him to do anything. Like, what he wants to do is his artistic prerogative. Right. But for me, I know how great a filmmaker he is. And, and for, like, I would, I would love to see that applied somewhere else. That, that's the end of it for me. Right. And as far as Carol goes as a movie, there's a kind of the refrigerated aspect of that film began to drive me crazy, irris, irris, ir, irrespective of who the director was. Um, I think there's some lovely things in it. I have a great deal of sympathy for the men in that movie, which is surprising to me. Um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of really wonderful melodramatic, sort of classic melodrama devices that he uses. There's a really wonderful use of imagery. Um, it is by no means a bad movie, and if I don't want to make, I want to stop anybody from seeing it. Um, but it just doesn't. I, I do not feel its power in the way that others do, and I think that it's sort of limited by its. I'm not. I'm not cutting you off. I'm sorry. I'm, oh, <laughs> I'm going to pull I mean, you off now. <laughs> no, sorry. Continue. No, I'm done. I, I, I was going to say it's interesting. Well, when you said refrigerator. <laughs> When you said refrigerated, um, I have. I hear all these different things. I, I, a, a critic, another a fr- critic friend who I, who I like a lot and respect a lot, said that it was just this another cold, austere exercise. And I just, I never feel that way watching his films. It's so, it's so strange how they they can play on those d- different levels. Um, Carol for me was just. I know what he's that he's formally doing something, but um, as with Far From Heaven. I'm in that world, he puts me in that world, and then from that point on, it's pure narrative and character, and I'm just a mess of t- tears by this film. So those films are purely emotional to me. Even Safe, which is a, a, a movie that is incredibly austere, I just feel like it's, there's so much weird warmth emanating. Right, no, screen. I think in those movies it works. I Carol also, especially. I mean, th- maybe, it's, maybe it's just the formalism of it works on me in a particular way. Th- those melodramatic flourishes, those touches, this I don't see them as being exercises. Um, maybe maybe we maybe we'll move on to an, another filmmaker just to spread the love and ambivalence <laughs> and or ambivalence about it. But but actually, I was curious if uh, if any of the um, anyone in the audience wanted a question to throw into the discussion at this point. Oh, yeah, please wait for the mic when asking a question so hey, we can good, record good evening, it for posterity. Um, speaking of films that have kind of been under the radar, I was surprised to see uh, Microbe and Gasoline or Microbe Gasoir. Uh, in the lineup because I hadn't yeah. heard of it beforehand. Oh, yeah, the, and the I just, Michelle I, Gondry film. Michelle Gondry film. I liked it a lot and I wanted to know if anybody had seen it and if so, what they thought of it. I just want to say that Ashley, who asked that question, wrote a really great piece about that movie. On reverse shot, everyone should read it, but I haven't actually seen it. I haven't seen it either, but I, I will say that the, for, how did Michelle Gondry become like another director that we just sort of take, whose brilliance we take for granted? I have not seen this one, but like, the, what was it? The, oh, the last one. Oh my God! Uh, okay, no, it's it's it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The Chomsky, the Chomsky one. No, 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 no. I like the Chomsky. I love the documentary. I, do, right. yeah. I love the documentary. But, but I mean, this is a guy who, even when it's not working, is like working at a level that's so sure. much higher than ninety percent. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with. I'm with that sentiment. Absolutely. No, did, did anyone see it? I saw it. Did anyone else? No. no? Violet, you're on. What do you like about it? Well, you also had you also spoke a little bit about it, so you can share some some of the. Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was um, it was it was it's like a complete departure from anything he's done, and it's sort of like he's really sort of rolled back a lot of uh, visual 
well, there's a couple of moments of sort of like magic or uh, it's just this very earnest coming of age story about friendship and it really accurately portrays friendship in a way that you don't, you see very rarely on film. Like, I mean, obviously romantic love is all over the place in filmmaking, um, you know, mainstream narrative filmmaking and this is just like a really wonderful story about two, two misfits, two boys. Yeah, yeah, and then and like they tr they travel around. They they they. You see them build something. You see them shit on an iPhone because they don't believe in. We uh, believe that we're still in the age, in the age of paper. Another movie with the character shitting. It's a scatological thread. Running yes, through it's it's a very prominent issue. It's a. Um, there are these little flourishes that really add something to it. Specifically, they build this house. They build a mo sort of this modified motorcycle and put a house on it, and they try to drive somewhere, um, and it's just really sweet. I liked it a lot. Uh, I'd be curious to know what film kind of at first left you with a lukewarm reaction, and then as you thought about it over time, the impact intensified, and likewise, the opposite. Over time, you developed more of a tepid response, whereas initially it was more powerful. Um, yeah. Oh, um, I can start by saying the way it works for me usually is I, I find how I really feel about something through the writing. Um, so Mountains Made of Parts, a really good example of a movie that when it was over, I thought, okay, uh, I, get what, I, I, I get the structure of it, I get what you're doing, but I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. It didn't really leave. And then, you know, the days have passed. I, you know, I, I like to take notes while I'm watching things, and then I look over them, and then that helps me remember certain things that I might have forgotten. And then when I put them in order, I realize what the scope of it was and what the structure of it was. And in the writing of that piece, I realized that it was it was really special. Um, it really and it stayed with me since. And, and that's that's one of the things I like about film writing the most. Actually, is that I discover things that I never thought. And that's why it, it's. It, I wish I could write about everything I see because I could be really dismissive about something forever. I, I'll see a movie and then I'll talk about how it's this mediocre mess and I don't care about it. But if I had given it more thought and and written about it, maybe I would think differently about it. So that was the big one for me. For me, I guess uh, maybe it's not really a true answer to your question, but um, um, when I saw The Assassin and when I, when I interviewed Ho Xiaoshen, it totally changed my whole perspective. And I think a lot of that has to do with how narratively oblique the film is. It's very, very um, el elliptical in the way that it's structured. And um, it's impossible, like I dare anybody to retell, like, synopsize the film for me after first watching, you know. Um, but when I, when I spoke to him, I realized that there was so much that went poured, was poured into this film. I mean, it was seven years in the making. Um, he worked with a really interesting um, screenwriter for the first time, who, if you, if you look at the film credits, you'll see, I mean, um, there is, of course, uh, his usual collaborator, Chu Tianwen, um, but this, this time there are two other screenwriters, one of whom is um, uh, Zhong Acheng, and uh, he's a Chinese fellow uh, who has been a longtime novelist and screenwriter um, who's worked with Xie Jin, King Hu, uh, Tian Zhuang Zhuang, and uh, he also formed an experimental avant-garde performance art group, which um, 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's really wonderful. And apparently he's a Tang Dynasty uh, specialist. So he told me about all the ways in which they did all of this research. They cast a net super wide for that research. And the film was a means of distilling and condensing all of that research into something that was like formally coherent and you know exactly what he had been wanting to make in terms of a wuxia film um and so then i had to see it again um and it's showing tomorrow so you guys should all check it out good to go in order or yeah, yeah. Go oh, <laughs> oh, you yeah wesley you should talk there's nothing in the slate that made me that, that produced that response i think there are things that i liked more, I mean, the more I thought about them, like I like the lobster. I liked it the first time I saw it, but there's something, I, I also, and I thought the stuff in the forest didn't work as well as, as the stuff in the, the second half of the movie doesn't work as well as the first half of the movie. But I think the attempt to get at what the forest half of the movie is about really touched me in that like it, it's risking failing at comedy to get at this really powerful emotional idea. Um, and I, it was worth the risk in some ways, even though it's not quite, it's not satisfying in the way that the first half of the movie really satisfies in terms of what it's attempting to, like its intent is one thing and its effect is something else obviously, but I think both those things sort of work in the first half of the movie and I think the risk of the second half of the movie, it, it's sort of, it's underwhelming, but at the same time, I spent at least, I spent about three days after I saw it thinking about, it just, it made me very sad. And it <laughs> it made me sad in a way that I'm, I'm rarely left sad by, um, by something that initially seemed to be frivolous to me. I, we, I, I, just to jump in, I had the exact same experience that you did about The Lobster. Without a doubt, I, I thought I was so depressed after that movie, and th and there's definitely um, the sense while you're watching it that there's something comic going on. Right, I'm aware that the way this is shot and cut, that this is supposed to be some kind of a deadpan comedy. But I found I, I find his worldview, the, uh, the Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos, I find his worldview very bleak, very upsetting, and and the way that he uh, uses um, this kind of central conceit about the the way couples actually get together and what it is that keeps couples together I found so upsetting that um, I left angry and people kept saying what do you think of the lobster with these big smiles in their faces <laughs> like I just thought it was the most depressing movie I've ever seen in my life and I don't buy into his worldview at all um, and then the days wore on and I couldn't stop thinking about it and I think it has one of the most amazing last scenes of anything that I've seen this year mm -hmm. um, and yeah there's an image it's played, I won't, there's an image near the end of Colin Farrell holding a knife, I'm not gonna say what's ha what happened in that image, but it, it really, it's an amazing shot, and it stays with you. Yeah. Eric, Eric. Mine was less about uh, my, my feeling changing after the film, but during the film, mm -hmm. which is something I've been thinking about a lot recently in terms of sort of autobiographical documentary cinema, because uh, Laurie Anderson's Heart of a Dog um, has the sort of, it, 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 I think it's actually quite, fantastic as a film, but the experience of it is not uniformly one that I'm, I'm responding positively to it. Um, but I think that's sort of 
part and parcel of that form, of that genre of film, where if you're gonna have somebody's voice whispering into your ear, and it's not your own voice, you may not always want to hear what that voice has to say, you may not always like the quality of that voice, you may not like all those decisions, but the sum total of those decisions, for me, wound up being something incredibly moving and powerful, and deliberate and intelligent, and but, but moment to moment, there are moments where I, there, there are moments within that where I just, I, no, oh, I don't like that line, or oh, I don't like that cut, you know, um, uh, but that's o that's okay. But I feel like that's a, so it makes me want to sort of fight for that type of filmmaking because I think that there are inevitably going to be moments where you feel like your philosophical or aesthetic view, you know, position is not being matched by what's on screen, and so if there's going to be some conflict there, then therefore you're not having a good time, or you don't like the film, or there's some critical, um, there's necessarily some sort of a, um, critical position you're taking against the film, but I don't think that has to be the case. Or it almost, you know, that sort of filmmaking, I think, invites a lot of conflict with the audience. That's how I feel about Mountains Made Depart. Like, by the time you're at that third section, I just, I just let everything go. And I mean, that, I felt that way a bit just with No Home Movie as well when I saw it a while ago, and now I actually don't think I can watch it for some time. No. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was gonna. I was because I was going to echo what um, Eliza said about the assassin, and I think that you know, re regarding you know, in regards to our tourism, I think that is a film that if you took everything else away, that's the masterpiece. That's the masterpiece of the festival, and it's just like I can't stop thinking about it, and I really, I can't even put into words. Like it's just it's operating at such a high, like just cinematically the way he's moving the camera, the colors, just everything is just so, and it, perfect. Just so perfect. I can't uh, believe he was going to shoot it on a bull X. I know, that's <laughs> all I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to say, but and I wanted to also say, like, no home movie, too. It's just like, I mean, after it was such a horrible shock. Um, but it's also, I think it's, it's such a beautiful final statement from her. And um, I think, again, as a there are these amazing shots of the desert that are sort of, the, I think, one of the best metaphors for grief and gr the act of grieving in that, you know, sometimes it's, it's her shooting out of the side of a car, out, this, out of her window in uh, somewhere in Israel, and it's like, there are times when the wind is just blowing so fiercely, and there are other times where it's sort of placid, but she's always moving forward. And it's like... Oh, sorry, this is No Home Movie. No, no Home Movie. The Chantal Ackerman film, yeah. So I, I have to, no, have to speak up for yeah. it. Absolutely, and <laughs> even from the opening shot, which is just, you know, three minutes of a tree in the wind, just that sense of just pure st st human stamina, yeah. endurance, and, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, question. I hated the lobster, and, I th and it's very sticky, and I realized Stic for the first sticky? time. Sticky? Yeah, I mean, I stayed, stayed with me, stayed with me. Um, and I realized there was a generational aspect to it. At the press screening that I saw it at, all the young people stood up and cheered, and all the older people sort of looked at each other like, ugh, oh. you know, so, there's, so that's something it, that I'm thinking a lot about. But I wanted to ask you about the witness and measure of a man. Um, I don't know if any of you saw them, and I, wa I also want to suggest that you didn't hear the Ed Lockman conversation uh, a couple of days ago, that you all watch it, because it was really a, quite a master class in ideas. Oh, well, I, I'll definitely so watch that. I love Ed Lockman. Witness Lockman. I, did, I didn't see either of those movies. Yeah. Didn't even I've, see seen I've seen Measure of a Man. I've not seen Witness. I also um, saw Measure of a Man. I've seen Witness. Um, I think Measure of a Man is great. I love that movie. I think that, I mean, 
it is a very familiar sort of agenda that's driving it. Um, I mean, even formally, it's it's familiar. But I mean, sort of in the context of the movie itself, I mean, I just feel like it it succeeded in raising my blood pressure and boiling my blood and breaking my heart and making me. I mean, it's it's a very effective piece of propaganda. Um, and you know, when he walks out of well, whatever it 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 works. It really, it's really effective, and he's he's great, Vincent Landon, which Eric and I have, who Eric and I have had a number of conversations about how he's just, he's just the sexiest man alive. <laughs> he's just, every other man should just get in line behind him. He is so hot. That's it, done. I, anybody want to talk about witness? Everybody wants you to keep talking about Vincent Landon. I could do that for hours. <laughs> he's he's the best. Well, I mean, so, so I mean, I don't know if I have too much to say about witness, uh, the, wit- the witness. Um, I, I didn't respond to it, um, and I had, I did not, and I had strong opinions about it walking out of it that I don't know that I can entirely recall at the moment. I wrote furious notes, and I plan to write it at some point, but at the moment, exactly how to intelligently say what my problems were, because um, uh, it, 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 it flummoxed me a little bit, because like, I, I, would, I, I could talk about it, and I could sort of say what I say doesn't work for me, but, but a lot of those things are things that I like about other movies. Um, but there's just sort of a, a, almost like a lack of confidence in the filmmaking and the decisions that, that really rubbed me the wrong way. That I felt like there was a lot of provocative things that could be explored there, that it was stirring up, that it was not following through on, it, on its own. And I was appreciative of the fact that I could, I, could, I could wrestle with some of those things, but I wasn't confident the film was, was asking me to wrestle with those things. So um, it was a, a sort of level of filmmaking, a level of it being... Um, you know, not necessarily a well-oiled machine in terms of how it was being constructed and what it was constructed of, um, that uh, it, it, it bothered me on some of those levels. But that's the beginning. And some of us are older than the other people on the panel. Well, I mean, with a, what, I, I, I think I had a similar response to you. I mean, I, I, it, grew, it grew in estimation in my mind, as I was saying, but my initial response sounds like it might have been similar to yours, so I don't know if it's necessarily a generational thing. I mean, I was really depressed by it and really angry at it when I first watched it. Was, it. it was so sadistic. It is. It's really sadistic. It's a horrible thing to sit through. I, re- I really do. I, re- I just I hated. I hated that. watching that movie. It's stuck in the mind because I think the imagery is powerful, and I think that there's there's like a there's a strength to the way he creates allegories. I mean, it's really interesting to see how he creates these worlds. He has a lot of ideas, and they're fun to watch. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's generational. I, though I know what you're saying that maybe the people who are who are willing to laugh more at the jokes, the, the so-called jokes in The Lobster are, that might be more of a generational thing because I think we, I, I, and I do think that it's a, I, this is kind of a cliche, but there's like a certain post-Wes Anderson who's borrowing from Tati and these kind of like, I, um, there's almost like a blackout sketch quality to the framing and to, to, the, to, the, to the film and the so-called jokes that are in it. Um, so maybe we're like primed, this generation is primed to laugh. There's, I find a real Pavlovian response to things like that. Like when you see a static camera and something crazy happens in it, the audience just goes wild. And it probably is, it might be more of a generational thing, I don't know. But I did have a similar response to you, so maybe it isn't. I don't know, I mean I feel like in some ways a movie kind of reminded me of, I mean if it reminds me of other filmmakers, I mean, Bunuel is certainly part of that conversation. Aki Korismaki? Yeah, Korismaki. I mean, other directors who, I mean, are much older than Lanthimos, um, whose sensibility, I mean, Korismaki is obviously not 
as sadistic as 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 has lent the most. But I mean, I mean, I can't spe- I can't explain your response to you. I just I just know that I had my response is mine. And uh, another question. Maybe is anyone in the back that we've missed? Or? Go ahead. Go right ahead. Yes, please. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask. Uh, you mentioned earlier that something about the intent of the first half of the lobster. What was the intent? I was completely lost. I mean, it's I a satire about relationships. I mean, I don't know if. I mean, I don't think it's much deeper from a thematic standpoint than that. But I mean, he's worked out this world in which, you know, there is something that that there is something in the world that happens to you when you are a single person, and this sort of this. The, the sort of oppressive idea of coupledom that happens to, I mean, I, I don't know, I really responded to this movie as a single person. And this thing that happens in the world where like you are the last of your single friends and the expectation is that you're either sad and, and people need to find you someone and you have to go somewhere to be found um, I mean, to me, it felt like a really, it felt like a literalization of online dating culture and the expectation wow, of, I, I mean, that's fair, that's but I mean, I definitely think that what I'm responding to and what I think is brilliant about that first half of the movie is, I mean, it really is what the experience of being single in a world that insists upon coupledom is like. Wow, that's interesting. I think this is very highly subjective. I'm single, and I'm much older than, I'm presumably much older Don't than presume you. anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 50. I think okay, you're under you win, 50. but okay. nonetheless. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, it, it sounds like something very subjective, and I don't know how old this person is who keeps talking about generational differences, but I didn't... Everyone just clearly state their ages in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> But what is what do you what what isn't working for you in that I, I sequence? I didn't get that it was about it didn't mirror my experience as a single person in New York at all. I, it just seemed so bizarre, like those guys sitting at a table, like looking well, straight ahead with white tablecloth. It was like they were incarcerated. So the formalism, I mean, but I, mean, I don't know. Well, I've a, never t- felt that there's way. A question, there's a question of what you can relate to, and then there's a question exactly. of, of what it's trying to communicate. And so to me, there are so, aspects of the film that I relate to, and there are moments that feel uncanny mm-hmm. um, in an exaggerated, you know, absurdist yeah. way. And then there are, like, like Michael said, like, I don't agree with the movie. I don't actually share that philosophy. And it's true. I don't share the philosophy of that film either. But I do think that it's the it, it's sort of metaphorical expression of what it feels, what that filmmaker seems to feel about relationships is something that I think is really clearly and powerfully expressed. And so therefore I find it a really powerful work. But I don't necessarily like relate to it always. Okay. Thank you for the explanation because I was very lost because it didn't, I couldn't relate to it at all. It seems like it's something very subjective. You know, um, and the director tends to do that. He creates these like highly, strangely ritualized, mechanized worlds that are supposed to reflect their like funhouse mirror versions of ours. Like his, in his early, it's very similar to his earlier films. You know, this, this, this last film, Alps, and uh, it's called Alps. And if somebody could help me with the details, it's been a while. But <laughs> yeah, it's a, this very strange world where you have to slowly figure out the rules, and it's it's this this uh, service where they set up for people grieving. Um, and their other people are hired to take the place of their lost of their lost loved ones. I would say that that one doesn't. I don't know. That doesn't, one doesn't do it. 
that one doesn't achieve what I think this movie achieves. See, no, that, but that one, like at least the idea of it meant more to me than, mm-hmm. than this one. So, yeah, I guess it's just... I mean, he's so working subjective. at, a, I would say, as a satirist, a very high degree of difficulty. And there's a line for him that he is willing to cross, and if it costs him half his audience, he's going to go there anyway. Um, and I kind of like that charging ahead, because uh, either you know you you you'll still have people. I don't. I'm not saying that losing you as a as a viewer was worth whatever it is he achieved, but um, I think he's someone who's aware of the risk he's taking in terms of how far he's willing to go with his sadism. Which is interesting to think about exactly what you said in terms of other films in the festival. I feel like Arabian Nights does that as well. Mm-hmm. There's sort of, he's willing to like lose you if, if, if that's what it takes. I, th- I, think, I think that De Plachin does that in a way too. Yeah. Um, where he sort of changes, it's this oddly shaped, changes modes three different times, way that can alienate a viewer, but he's going to do it anyway. I also think that maybe that's my problem with Carol. Which is that it, like, irrespective of who made it, I feel like there is a. It, it doesn't go far enough for me, I think, is maybe my problem with it. And it's not so much that it's a Todd Haynes problem. I mean, just as a movie, I feel that there's a. There's a it's settled, and it's, it's a kind of. It's a comfortable movie despite all of the things that it's risking. And I feel like it's, it's sort of morally tidy in a way that I don't like as well. I mean, I feel like there's a limit could go on, out on, and, and doesn't, it doesn't risk going there. Hmm. Anyone else? Yeah, it's not the 50. I, I, I understand, I'm seeing it at 2 p.m. tomorrow, so I I'm appreciate sorry. us I, not talking about it. I try not to talk about it, and <laughs> here we coming are. Up. Um, I, maybe, it, it, oh, is someone wanted to talk? Yeah. Oh, there we are, okay. Hi. Uh, one thing I find kind of interesting about this panel is that you've been discussing quite a lot of films covering a broad range, but there's been almost no mention of sort of the really big titles. You have the opening film, The Walk. You did talk about the centerpiece, Steve Jobs, uh, but there's no mention of Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies and also tomorrow's closing film, Miles Ahead. Uh, I, I'm curious. None of us have seen Miles Ahead. Yeah, sure. Have seen Miles Ahead. We, can um, spec- we can only speculate. Yes, but one thing I wonder is that I find that as someone who myself is going to all of the screenings and seeing everything, there's sometimes feels like there's sort of a, there's kind of a different place for those movies in a way because they're the really big ones that are going to be coming out soon. I mean, The Walk is already in theaters, Steve Jobs is in limited release and miles ahead already has distribution. Bridge of Spies is coming out next week. So do you guys have a, I don't want to say a different relationship, but do you think of these movies in a slightly different way because they're sort of the big titles and they're going to come out right away and maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a bit more of a commercial place for them in the festival because they're the ones that are going to draw the most attention. I don't want anybody to say anything that might be compromising about that because I understand, because it's a film festival, it's a business. There's no question about that. No, but it's a great question. It's a great question. I, I mean, if anybody else wants to try to answer it, I mean, I think for me, those movies just aren't as interesting as other movies. So it, for me, the things we've been talking about, are, I mean, I feel like we're all talking about things, whether we like them or not, really struck us. And I mean, I think um, Steve Jobs is, in, is strikingly unsuccessful for me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't hold it apart from, you know, the Hosha Shen or, you know, anything else. Um, yeah, and yeah, oh, sorry to interrupt. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm happy to talk about the walk and how, 
Well, Michael, do you have any it, Bridge of Spies? Well, I haven't. I, have, I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen Bridge of Spies. Yeah, yeah. I, I could pass the mic to some people who have, and we like no, it very much. Go with it. Um, but um, <laughs> to preempt. No, but I was just going to say to answer the question in kind of a broader way, just as an as an editor, as an editor of a, of a, of a, of a site, um, I don't like there to be any differentiation between the so-called you know high films, low films. I don't really know what the you know for studio films, independent films, foreign films. I I like to have them all on the same plane and cover as many things as possible. So so that when you go to the site, you see them all together, um, and the coverage should all be equally in depth and interesting and written by the same types of writers. Um, I, yeah, I, I just think that it's like you were saying. It, it, it's just a, it's indicative of what we find interesting, what we happen to be discussing today. Um, yeah, the walk for me just isn't an interesting film. I just, I mean, I, I thought it was completely banal. I mean, if this if this conversation had been happening, you know, five months ago, and Mad Max were in the festival, we could right. have spent like an hour talking inside about out. Fury Road. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to one of the things you're saying in terms of like the proximity of release dates to the festival, which is I do think takes away some of the the pleasure of discovering a film at a festival and. And, and, and chewing on that and, and feeling like, oh, I'm interested to see how this is going to make its way into theaters over the next couple months for a film to come out five days later. It's, it, yeah, it feels a little bit. Or just something that has so much momentum financially behind it. Right. Like there's a whole system. I'm well, there's like I'm the whole, there's a whole okay I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a giant Marxist right now. It's like a whole system in place to sort of promote the these game things. away. <laughs> you know, sort of you know right. promote it, and it's not like people won't hear about it. It won't get to people. Like these other films, like Experimenter, another film that I really, really love, and it's just like so fantastic. And it's it's it's, it's insane to me that there's a film that's so invested in exploring a psychological experiment, and then it. And uh, these, these, uh, this other research he did, like that's such a beautiful, that that's wonderful that exists. But if we don't, if we don't talk about it, like that's sort of part of what criticism is. Uh, I, it will just, wh where will it go? Oh. And, and for the record, the current film comment has uh, articles about the walk and the experimenter <laughs> within a few pages of each other. So yeah. we, we definitely try to, you know, bring them all together. They can live together. Yeah, yeah, they can live together. I don't know if they can play together, They're but they can live roommates. together. Odd couple. It's yeah. basically the odd couple in yeah. movie form. Um, any questions? Um, I'm, I'm just going to throw out one kind of open-ended question because uh, we've been talking mostly about new movies, and but the festival also has such a rich retrospective um, slate as well. Um, so I wondered if seeing any of those movies kind of reflected on the newer movies or were just rediscoveries for, for anyone here. Um, certainly one thing that was great to see was the Manuel de Lovera movie, uh, Visit, or Memories and Confessions. I don't know if anyone... Which is, which is funny that it's categorized in retrospectives because it hasn't been screened right. in America yeah. until... <laughs> That's true, festival. yeah. I guess it's a revival. Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, it just, it, it's a yeah. posthumous film, so like it's it, it screened yeah. a couple times recently, yeah. but never in America. It's a category of, itself, of its own self, I guess. That's the only one that I've seen in that category. Personally. What are the what are the other films? Oh, uh, well, just like uh, Heaven Can Wait, for example, Touches was a big restoration. Yeah, Rocco and his brothers, yeah. right? Yeah, Rocco. Black Girl. Um, Black Girl, yeah. Well, Rant ran around as well, yeah. Um, uh, moving right along. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I should say that there are two. We d we were looking through the catalog. There are actually two 35 millimeter prints. Oh, this is interesting. Yes, of course. Yeah. So um, I, I feel like a lot of the times now, restoration is basically synonymous with digital. Uh, 
whatever transferring and um, it's nice to see that there are actually two 35 millimeter prints um, yeah I used to work at the Toronto Film Festival where one of the uh, one of the tech managers tracked and actually I don't know I guess he was really obsessed with seeing how much digital was taking over and mm -hmm. he actually made these graphs over the years and it was just an exponential number of digital formats taking over year after year. Um, but now that I, I see that a lot of festivals are starting to include these retrospective programs and that's a kind of a new thing. And um, unfortunately, most of them are DCP showcases, and I, I, I appreciate that there are 35 millimeter prints, yeah. which are new. There's, e there's even one among the new films, Son of Soul, I think, was 35 millimeter right. as well. Yeah. In Brooklyn, too. But I think, I think to your point, I think the reason why festivals are including more revival sections is because I think people maybe don't want to take a chance on a movie that they don't know anything about, or they know very little about, whereas yeah, something that point. it's like, who doesn't want to see blow up on the big screen? Like in a giant. Oh, you don't. On thirty-five. On thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Descent in the yes. ranks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but the Manuel de Oliveira film is is wonderful. Yes. And strange wonderful. and yeah. deeply unique. And I yeah. don't know when it will screen again, or if or if it will anytime soon. But it's 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 fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth thinking about, dreaming about. Um, well, I guess we're sort of winding down here, but I did want, if anyone else has anything they want to ask, or, yes, please. Okay, I'm just going to repeat the question for the, for the podcast. Uh, so the question is about the ratio between film and digital in the festival. Um, I'm not, I, I don't I mean, actually I, I really guess that depends on if you're including the projections program. Oh, the yeah. projections, which is a wonderful segue, actually. Yeah. If anyone yes. Would you say 3070, or? Oh, wait, no, no, no. no, no, no. no, no. But we were just, we were just, we were just counting off like a handful of yeah, thirty-five millimeter. Yeah, I think it's the exception now that like two oh, yeah. in the main slate yeah. and two in the re in the revivals, and yeah. then yeah. and the, the, there's the Dorsky and Heiler retrospective, yeah. which is yeah. all sixteen millimeter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thirty-five. Yeah. Of course, we could we could talk talk all night about everything in the New York Film Festival, but um, I'm so happy to have all of you here. Thank you yeah, again thank you. so much. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks, everybody. Here. Thanks for coming. Thanks. And thank you, everyone. Same time next year, okay? <laughs>